Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church. God himself blew on history so that there would be a light. A timely message, convicting words, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. Why don't you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community, that we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're gonna answer for them. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth not shall be damned. So what do you really believe? People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And He wants them to be filled with people that have some passion, that understand what it means to be a Christian, that aren't slobs drooling with all of their candy and their chocolate and their soda and their entertainment, wanting to hear a preacher to tell them that they're just fine the way that they are and they don't need to change and they don't need to worry about repentance. They don't need to get the sin out of their life. Those are not good preachers. And those are not legitimate churches and their buildings become an aggravation and a mocking point. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. So Satan comes along and what does he do? He says, did God really say such and so? Talking about her hearing to get her to dismiss what she heard and only go on what she saw. And then he said to her, the truth is, if you disobey and if you eat the forbidden fruit, you'll be able to see things that you can't see right now. He lied. He tricked them. So Eve is thinking, oh, better vision? My sight will improve if I do this. He sold it to her. You'll be able to see and understand sin. And right now you, you can't see that. You don't understand it because you haven't seen it. So he, he gets her tempted by her eyes. And then he tells her, if you do what I say, your eyes are gonna get even better. And then she sinned. What did they do right after they sinned? They hid because they, listen, they did not want to see God. So father steps onto the scene and says, all right, we got an issue with not listening 
and going only on what you see. Fast forward several thousand years, Jesus to Thomas. Blessed are those that believe when they have not seen. Eden was speaking. The voice of God in Eden spoke to Thomas. And God says, you don't want to see me. You thought your eyes would be improved by disobedience and you didn't listen. So now, here's what's happened. All human beings were made and born spiritually blind from that day forward. They no longer could see. And he sent, the scripture says, a flaming sword, an angel with a flaming sword to keep them from ever coming back into the garden. And I believe that that is symbolic and literal at the same time. And what was literally being done is human beings were being blinded to the existence of Eden, which is not all only temporal, but also a spiritual place that you can't see. And so now you're born into the world, the the son and the daughter of Adam. Your eyes are genetically messed up because of their disobedience and they've passed that trait to you. And God has said, echoing through the ages, faith is believing what you hear. Blessed are those that believe when they don't see. And so that's what faith is to you this morning, listening and believing what God's word is saying. Am I helping anybody? So you're saved by grace, the power of God, the moral strength of God shared with man. It comes and it repairs the damage and the problems and the dysfunction. It repairs you and keeps you healthy before God so that you can really experience life the way that you're supposed to experience it in Christ. And so verse six, there were people that didn't listen. They were told to honor the seventh day. Did they do it? No. Why? Because of unbelief, because they wouldn't listen. And they saw something that looked so much better. With us, it's probably television and sleeping in. With them, who knows? But there was something their eyes preferred and so they negated their ears. But that's not how faith works, is it? Faith has very little to do with what you see. It has everything to do with what you hear. Go with me to Hebrews chapter four. And again, verse seven, he appointed in David a certain day by today, after so long a time saying, as it is said, this day, if you hear his voice and harden not your hearts, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not after this have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's still a seven-day cycle. You still need to sit down. You still need to be in the presence of the Lord. You still need to be repaired. The very thing that saved you sustains you and keeps you alive. For the word of God is lively and mighty in operation and sharper than any two-edged sword and entereth through even unto the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so when you sit down on the seventh day and you hear the word preached, the Holy Spirit with this sharp, sharp scalpel starts cutting into your heart and cutting into your own thoughts and your own mind and revealing to you the areas that you are in error so that you can then correct them. The other analogy is it provides you with a mirror of your own reflection and you can see it as like, oh man, I do have whiskers and they're poking my microphone. (laughs) And so you make the corrections. 
There's another kind of a man or a woman that looks into the mirror, sees the reflection, gets angry, slams the mirror into the garbage and says, I'm going to get a new one. There's something wrong with this mirror. And they find a new church. Now, when I was a child, you went into a trailer with warped mirrors, and it was supposed to be a joke. In the spirit world, that's what people want. They want the mirror to not give them an accurate reflection because then they feel better. So the fat guy says, give me a mirror that makes me look skinny, right? The person that's self-conscious because they're too thin says, give me a mirror that makes me look a little thicker. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And then verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest which has entered into heaven. You remember I said last time that the priesthood has been transferred to heaven in Christ and he is the great high priest. The priesthood is still functioning right now in heaven in a holy tabernacle. The Bible describes it vividly. In fact, if you go back and look, the instructions that God gave Moses for building the earthly tabernacle, the scripture says, was patterned after a temple that already existed in heaven. Now Jesus, the high priest, is standing in heaven in that same place that Moses tried to copy when he was alive. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, verse 15, but was in all things tempted in like sort, yet without sin. Let us therefore go boldly into the throne of grace. Why? Why? Because you need it. You have to figure out how to get into this throne room. You do. You need to get in there. He just told you, let us, you and me, all of us, let's get in here because we need it. Why? Let us go boldly unto the throne of grace. Jesus is sitting upon the throne of grace because he has all grace. And it is by grace that you're saved and by grace that you're sustained. Let us go boldly into the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Anybody need mercy? I do. That we may have mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This world that we live in is filled with times of need. Every day you need something. You need God every day, every morning when you wake up, every night when you go to sleep. It's filled with need. The world is a mess. It's a disaster. Grace is what sustains us. Grace is what will sustain our brothers and sisters and their children who are hiding right now in the caves of a mountain in Iraq. It is the grace of God that they get the strength from one another that will sustain them through agony and through loss and heartbreak. And it is that same throne room that they have to get into, that you have to get into. Suddenly, in a persecuted church, in a church that is denied dominion, that can't have a building, that can't come together, suddenly, one another the fellowship that you have, the strength that you get from one another suddenly becomes very noticeably important. I am saying that to you because I am adjuring you. Stop taking one another for granted. Stop taking this church building for granted. You need each other. It is when we're in difficult times, when we're suffering, when we're hurting, that the strength, we literally can feel the strength in those moments, when we're hurting, when we're scared, you can almost feel it physically, 
like you're bolstered by the people that encourage you. You're down, you feel drained, you feel weak, and somebody will say just the right thing. And you can almost feel it, can't you? Like something goes into you. You can almost feel like, I can do this, I can, okay, I'm gonna be okay, I can do this, because they're, the grace of God is coming out of them, and you can't see it, but it's happening. Grace is what keeps you going. And, and, and we're to be pitied above everyone when we, when we don't have the persecution, and we don't have the problems, and we're not suffering in anguish, and we haven't had to witness a beheading of some child. We're to be pitied above all when when we take grace for granted. Just because we're not suffering, God forgive us. We need to get into the throne of grace because we need it. Some people need grace to get through pain. Some of us need grace so that we can shine. Did you know that just the idea that somewhere in America, there are believers praying somewhere, Americans that are praying, just the word to know that there's a church somewhere that cares, that's praying, just the knowledge of that, grace finds its way into the caves of the mountains. And parents and their children that are fearful and trembling, they encourage one another saying, there's a church in America and they're praying for us. This is how God works. So we need to get in there. How do we get there? I want to show you. I've been dancing around this for weeks. I've got to get there. I'm going to show you three ways to get grace. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, back to verse 11. I'm going to show you three things that you need to do. You realize grace in the Old Testament through the old priesthood the priesthood that has been done away in one respect but transferred to heaven in another through the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the high priest. In the Old Testament priesthood, grace flowed into the people through the priesthood. The sacrifices were done and it was a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus slain before the foundations of the world and they were being repaired by the grace of God in the Old Testament. And so here we are and we're thinking, you know, we got to get into this throne room Jesus sits in. And apparently this is the place that we have to go when we need help and when we're in a time of need. And that means every human being needs to find a way in there. The grace that they received has always been grace. The rules of how it works have have never changed. Grace functions the same today that it did in the times of Moses. Nothing's changed. Grace has always been grace. Love has always been love. None of these definitions have changed. The grace that they were able to enjoy in the Old Testament was connected to their understanding of what they were being taught. And so that is exactly the same thing with you. And here's the first thing you have to do in verse 11. You want to get into the throne, right? You want to get in here and get what you need when you need it. Okay, so step one, verse 11. Let us study, therefore, to enter in to the rest. Now, realize when it's describing entering into rest, it is ultimately describing the result of what happens in the throne room of grace. When you get into the throne room to find help in time of need and God extends mercy and fills you with grace and overwhelms the situation and solves the problem, what do you have at the end of it? Rest. This is the description on how to get into the throne. Verse 11, study the Bible. 
You must be a student of the scriptures. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who is this woman, she had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen, and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions, or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now, that sounds simple to ask that question, and people flippantly answer it, but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing, and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it, and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says, or should they bow down to the threat of consequences? Because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. Stepstopoliticalepiphany.com That's stepstopoliticalepiphany.com Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. To Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Today we're sitting together in a church and I'm teaching you and I'm preaching from the scriptures and you're learning. This is part of how you access the grace of God. Grace only belongs to who? The humble. Who are the humble? Humble people are those that elevate the value of others and keep a balance and a level head on exactly where they're at. You think too highly of yourself, you're in pride. You can't have grace. You think too lowly of yourself, that's reverse pride, false humility. You can't have grace there either. You need to know right where you're at in your walk with the Lord and you need to understand that the other people in the room have value, in particular, the preacher has a special place and a special place of value. According to Ephesians chapter four, he's a gift from God who channels grace into your life by preaching God's word. So step one, you have to humbly study 
the Bible. Now, what does the scripture say? No passage of the Bible is of any private interpretation. So even in how you interpret what you read, you must be in subjection to that guy. What do I do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Go ask that guy down there at this address. He'll tell you what I want you to do. You have to learn it. So we need each other. You're not an island. You don't get to interpret the Bible off by yourself. Submit to the body of Christ. The world has been filled with wonderful preachers and teachers for centuries. And the church fathers have something to say. And we should carefully review their doctrines. We should carefully listen to where they were at at that time in history when they lived. And make sure that we glean every nugget of golden truth that is true from them and eat the hay and spit out the sticks because they were at a different time and some of them got some things wrong. It doesn't mean we don't listen to everything they said. It means we only reject the things they got wrong. Martin Luther, for example, wanted to throw out whole sections of the New Testament. He was wrong. But that doesn't mean I can't learn from him. It doesn't mean he didn't have something legitimate to say that we're not saved by works. That's, that's the truth. And that revolutionized the world. And I'm thankful for Martin Luther, even though he did some things wrong. Can you say amen? You can learn. We, we interpret the Bible, submit it to authority over us, and in subjection to our friends and neighbors beside us because no scripture is of private interpretation. You want grace? You want to get into the throne? You got needs? Need help? This is how. Study the Bible. Number one, verse 11, study. Let us study, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of disobedience. You know how they were disobedient in the Old Testament? They didn't listen. You know how else? They wouldn't study, apparently. Number two, get into the throne of grace by the lower priesthood that enables you to access the high priest in his chambers. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now listen, when you say there is a high priest, you are by default acknowledging that there is a lower priesthood. You couldn't say somebody was a high priest if there wasn't also a priest that wasn't the high priest. In other words, it would be difficult to say it's cold if nobody listening had ever experienced anything called heat. Seeing therefore that we have a great high priest which has entered into heaven, even Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all things tempted in like sort, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Keep reading, the chapter division was added by people. The letter's still going. For every high priest is taken, from among men and is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, which is able sufficiently to have compassion on them that are ignorant and that are out of the way because he also is compassed with infirmity. For the same sake, he is bound to offer for sin as well as for his own part as for the people's. And that no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Now you have described a parallel from the old to the new that there is also a lower priesthood similar to that of Aaron. It's feeble men like me that sweat when it's really, really humid in a church building and that have to blow their nose in the middle of a sermon and don't want you to have to hear the snot. So I asked him to shut the mic off. I have infirmities, I am frail, I am human, I make mistakes, I have errors. Thank goodness Jesus doesn't have a runny nose problem. He's perfect, I'm not. But if you want access to the high priest, you will find it through the lower priesthood. 
So that means it's necessary for you to sit in a church, to submit yourself to other human beings. Saul says to Jesus, what, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. You'll find out by asking that guy down there. He's a guy, he's flawed, he's got problems. But I've already shown him what I want you to do and you're gonna have to talk to him if you wanna find out because you don't deserve to have me answer you. You gotta learn to submit to others. So I need to get into the throne room. What do I do? Number one, study and listen to the fathers of the church. Pay attention to the great and noble men who have preached the Bible for 2,000 years after Christ's resurrection and ascension. Listen. Number two, get into the throne by the lower priesthood. You gotta listen to the pastor. You gotta listen to the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers that were sent by Jesus after his ascension, according to Ephesians chapter four, to preach the Bible to you. It's the lower priesthood. Listen, study and listen to the preacher. And then number three, go with me to Proverbs chapter three. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach all day. I know it feels like I may. As long as I don't feel any attitude, I will stop. If I feel attitude, I will keep going. <laughs> Proverbs chapter three, the secret to a short sermon is to say amen and really just love it. Let me know you love it. If I feel that you're loving my preaching, I'm just gonna let us all go to lunch. Amen. I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it now. I feel grace to go to lunch coming. Proverbs chapter three and verse 34. With the scornful he scorneth, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Go to James chapter four, New Testament. Just in case anybody thinks that the Old Testament disagrees with the new, it doesn't, never has, never will. They're in perfect harmony. Go with me to James. It's right toward the end of the New Testament. It's a small book, it's easy to miss. James chapter four and verse six. But the scripture offereth more grace and therefore saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. James and Peter seem to agree on everything. They were in perfect harmony. We need to get into the throne room, right? You need the grace. Well, here's the next thing. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Oh, what? But people are flawed. Yeah, you got to submit to those flawed people. Because as it so happens, sometimes they're not quite as flawed as you are. Takes a little bit of humility to know that. There are flawed people in here that are not as flawed as you, and you could learn from them if you'll listen. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elders and submit yourselves every man one to another. Deck yourselves inwardly in lowliness of mind, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Three things you have to do to get into this throne room. You need to get there. Let us therefore together go boldly into that place because we need grace and help and rest. Here's how, number one, study the Bible and submit yourself to other people. There is no scripture of private interpretation. Number two, get into the throne by the lower priesthood at church respecting authority, delegated authority that God has set in your life. We don't call them priests in our tradition. The Catholics still do. I understand why. Makes sense. We're called pastors in our tradition, but we're the lower priesthood. Number three, God will only give grace to the humble. The only way into the throne room 
is by not having an attitude and revering the other flawed people that God has put you in fellowship with in the church he has called you to go to every seven days. Can you say amen? This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 